I've been anxious to get into the book of Revelation. So I hope you brought a pencil, because um, this is going to be a study. And by the time we're done with the book, my goal is that you will understand it as well as you can possibly understand it. What's the book of Revelation about? Well, it's about tomorrow's tomorrow. It's about the future. It's exciting. It's scary. I mean, it shows demon hordes ascending upon the planet Earth and tormenting people. There's signs in the heavens and on Earth, earthquakes, plagues of fire and blood. It shows cataclysmic events in the heavens and on the Earth, miracles, angels, demons, catastrophes of biblical proportion. In the real sense of the word, finally we get to use it right. But it's not all that way. First two or three chapters are kind of, they're interesting, very interesting, but they're not about all that crazy wild stuff that they make movies about. So we're going to get into it. Um, I don't want to do what I've been doing for the last several months, just an overview and then move on to the next topic to keep up with your reading list. I want to kind of camp in the book of Revelation for a while, so we're going to be here for a while. And I'm going to struggle, I'm going to work very hard to try to balance a college classroom with a practical sermon because I really want to help you understand this book and understand how to study the Bible. So we'll get in chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. The revelation of Jesus the Messiah, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. When you first look at this passage, you can't help but want to rush through to the rest of the book and get to all the cool, interesting stuff. But I found a mystery in this very first passage that made me stop. Before we look at the mystery, though, let me write down what I did see, which was kind of interesting because you don't see this in most of the Bible. It says it's God's revelation, which he gave to Jesus. So from God the Father to God the Son. And then it says, Jesus gave it to his angel. And his angel gave it to John. And John gave it to his servants. The pastors are those seven congregations that are mentioned throughout the first three chapters of Revelation. That's where the first verse ends, the provenance of God's book. Divine provenance handed all the way down. And yet here we are. So it went from the servants. Obviously more people copied it out and they passed it around and more people copied it out and they passed it around. Finally it got into the hands of a guy named Gutenberg. And he decided to print the Bible as the first book on a modern printing press. And since that day the Bible has been like the best-selling book in human history. And we have the provenance right here. But that's not the mystery. Here's the mystery. It says that this book is to show his servants what must soon take place. What's so mysterious about that, Steve? This. The word soon. It was written 2,000 years ago. So in the book, in the first verse, it says this is given so you might know what soon will take place, and it's been 2,000 years. How is that soon? 
And so I had to stop my studies, even though I was anxious to get into other stuff. And I thought, it's not fair to bypass this. I don't fully understand it, and I'm sure they don't either. So if we're going to study this book, let's look at the hard stuff, as well as the fun and easy stuff, and see what we can learn from it. Now, I'm going to answer this the best I can. But before I do, I've got to give you four things to keep in mind as we study and get this answer. And really, these four things can work out through studying most of the book of Revelation. Four things you have to understand to help you understand the book of Revelation. The first thing that you have to understand, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, is some prophecy in Scripture is intentionally vague. That means God doesn't want everybody to understand it. That's the point. He makes it vague on purpose. And this is nothing new in the Bible. Jesus spoke in parables. And part of the reason he spoke in parables was to conceal what he was saying from the detractors. So unless people were really serious, they wouldn't understand it. Daniel, when I was in Bible college, there was a class, Daniel Revelation. It was one class. Because you can't understand the book of Revelation without the book of Daniel and vice versa. Daniel, the prophet, who's just like John, he wrote about the future, he wrote about heaven, he wrote an amazing prophecy. Listen to what it says in the book of Daniel, towards the end of the book, chapter 12. The angel who's revealing all this future stuff to him says this, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Seal it up till the time of the end. So even Daniel is being told that the things that you're writing down aren't for everybody to know. It's for the generation that's to come, the future. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Well, if that's not distinctive of today's age, I don't know what it is. Knowledge shall increase. You know, I brought a, bought a, a new car, uh, you know, well, half a year ago, whatever it was, and it, it'll talk to my phone, so when somebody calls me, I can hear their text, and I can respond with just a press of a button. That's just so cool. But it's already obsolete. The newer models are doing something better. How crazy is that? The computer you bought three to five years ago, old school. Some of the technology doesn't even work anymore. They don't support it. They're not interested. It's too old. They don't work with it anymore. It's just knowledge is increasing at an exponential rate. You just can't keep up with it anymore. And then it says many will run to and fro. What does that mean? I don't know, but I know this. Nobody in human history has ever run to and fro like we have. I mean, cars? 75, 85 miles an hour down the road? If you told people you know, a couple hundred years ago that we'd be traveling that fast, they'd laugh at you. They'd say you die. You can't handle, human body can't handle the stress of those speeds. That's what they tell you. That's just a car. What, what would they do if you tell them about a jet plane? Yeah, I'm a fighter pilot, and my jet goes faster than a speeding bullet. Literally. No, human body couldn't. Yeah. Crazy. And the jet planes that go faster than a speeding bullet? Those are slow compared to the jump, plane, the jump jets they're working on right now. They're working on jets that'll circumnavigate the globe in like two hours. I mean, it's crazy. Many will run to and fro and knowledge will increase. I'm not sure exactly what it means, but it seems to mean that. 
So we're getting close. Knowledge shall increase. Maybe it's knowledge about the end times. I don't know. I just know that some prophecy is intentionally vague. So as we're going through the book of Revelation, we're not going to understand it all, and we're not intended to understand it all. But we're going to study it the best we can, nevertheless. You might think, gee, that's not fair. Why didn't God give this book to me? You know, there's parts of the Bible that you understand right now that the prophets who wrote didn't understand. So there's some stuff that was hidden from them, but it was revealed to us. We're the lucky generation. And then there's stuff hidden to us that will be revealed to the next generation. They're the lucky generation. That's how God wants it. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter. Some prophets searched hard to find out more about the way you, should be, you would be saved. The spirit of Messiah was in them and telling them how Messiah would suffer and then would be given great honor. So they searched out to find exactly who the Messiah would be and when this would happen. But they were told they were serving not themselves, but you. And their message was only for you, even though angels would like to know more about it. So the prophets were told what to write down. They wrote it down, and they didn't understand it. And so they studied, and they studied, and God said, it's not for you to understand. And the angels were like, can we know? And God was like, no, it's not for you to understand either. Most of that stuff was about the messianic prophecy, about the coming of Jesus. That's old school to you. You know all about it. You can preach the gospel. You know the whole story. They were like, oh. Like, you're all over. You know the virgin birth. They were like, they didn't know. God in human flesh, they didn't know that was going to happen. He's going to die for their sins, rise on the third day, and Gentiles could believe and be saved. No. They didn't know all that stuff. You know all that stuff. So what God hid to them from them, he revealed to us. And what he's hiding from us, he's going to reveal to this generation. Which for all I know, maybe us, but not yet. So the first thing you need to understand as we study the book of Revelation is that some prophecy is intentionally vague. The second thing you need to understand is sometimes things are lost in translation. Koine Greek, the language that the New Testament was written in, was a lost language for many years. It was rediscovered. Scholars know it very well, but they don't know it perfectly. And even if they know it perfectly, taking something from one language into another is not always easy, and sometimes it's not even possible. And so there are certain phrases or expressions or tenses that don't even occur in the English language. So how do you translate it into English? Well, you're stuck. You've got to just come up with something that approximates it. And I think that's what we have going on here, which we'll talk about in more detail in a couple of moments. But I, I introduced this to you a couple of weeks ago. I was talking to you about the name of the, the top of the Ark of the Covenant. I said there's no English word for it. It has the word atonement in it, kapoor, but that's not the word, it's a kaporit. And that's what I called it because there is no English word for it. This too is very similar to that. So the first thing, sometimes prophecy, or prophecy in general, is intentionally vague. Number two, sometimes things are lost in the translation. Three, this is the third thing you need to understand when you're studying the book of Revelation. When the Bible speaks about the future, there are at least three futures to consider. Any Doctor Who fans in the house? Three futures. And so when it's saying something about the future, you have to stop and ask, which future is it talking about? What do you mean, three futures, Steve? Well, there's the immediate future of the people who are hearing the prophecy. So John wrote to seven congregations, congregational leaders in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago. 
and what he wrote was about their future. But some of it was their immediate future, things that they would see fulfilled in their lifetime or their children's lifetime. But some of the stuff was about the distant future. So the first future is the immediate future. And by the way, 2,000 years ago, this was written to a group of people. It's our past. Their future, our past. How's that for a head trip? So you're reading something that says it's, it's talking about the future, but you've got to ask, whose future? Their future or my future? And since there's 2,000 years in between, it could have been their future 1,000 years, but still been somebody else's future 1,000 years, and still our past 1,000 years. So here's the three futures. The immediate future of those who this is written to, that's the first. The distant future of those who it's written to, that's the second. And our future, that's the third, which of course would have been their distant, distant future. You with me so far? We doing okay? All right. Fourth thing we have to understand when we study the book of Revelation, God's view and God's appreciation of time is not the same as ours. From the pulpit commentary, listen to what it says. In the language of the seer, past, present, and future are interwoven together as seen by God, and more truth is contained than the seer himself knows. This is true about prophecy. When you study prophecy and you try to write everything down in order, let's say you're going through the book of Revelation and you want to outline it and you think it's chronological. So this happens, then 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 this happens, and this happens, and you stop and say, wait a minute. I thought this happened over here. It's saying the same thing that happened here. You're right, it does. And then this happens and this happens. Wait a minute. This thing over here is over here. That's right. You got that right. And then this happens. Whoa, wait a minute. I thought that happened way over here, back in Genesis. You're right, it does. It's all kind of, for the Doctor Who fans, timey-wimey doesn't make sense from our frame of reference. And God just lays it all out, and we're like, ah. Not only that, but Peter says this, don't forget this one thing. My dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. You know, we have life like that. You ask any parent about their kids, and they'll say, oh, the time went so fast. You ask the kids, and they're like, it took forever to get out of the house. You know? Bible says life is but a vapor. Well, as you're going through your unemployment and your medical problems and your difficulties, you're thinking it's not a vapor at all. But when you're on your deathbed and you know you've got a few moments left, it goes pretty fast. And then you look back and say, man, that, that, that was fast. That was just yesterday. So it's already Thanksgiving. When did, didn't that just happen? Time is funny. And with God... A thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. So this guy's listening to his pastor preach on Peter. Pastor says, a day with the Lord is just a thousand years? Yeah. I wonder if it's the same with money. Would you pray for me that I can get a dollar? <laughs> so the pastor said, now that's a silly prayer, but okay. So he prays for him and comes back the next day. He said, what did God say? He said, sure, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> So, what did John mean when he said, what must soon take place? Well, first let me start off with telling you what he did not mean. He did not mean 
that the book of Revelation would soon be fulfilled or soon be finished, which is exactly what we would expect it to mean. But how do I know it doesn't mean that? Well, fortunately, I don't have to go into the Greek. I don't have to think too hard to know that it doesn't mean exactly what we think it means. How do I know that? Because as you read through the book of Revelation and you get to chapter 20, this is what it says in chapter 20. Remember, John wrote this, the same John who said this will soon take place. In chapter 20, it says Satan is bound for a thousand years. That's the millennial kingdom when the lamb dwells with the, the lion and there's peace on earth and goodwill towards men and all that stuff for a thousand years. And then Satan's released to cause mischief for one short more time, then God will judge him and set up eternity. So written into the book that John wrote is a 1,000-year time frame. So in nobody's stretch of the imagination is that soon. Even if it started the day John wrote it, it wouldn't be finished for at least 1,000 years. So whatever he meant by soon take place, he did not mean it would soon be finished or fulfilled. That's just the context. I keep telling you, context, context, context. So we have to look elsewhere. If it doesn't mean that it was going to all be done soon, what could it possibly mean? That's when you start scratching your head and going to the commentaries and looking at the Greek. Albert Barnes in his commentary thinks what it means is not that it would all happen soon, but it would start soon. John's writing this letter and it's going to start soon. Not finish soon, but start soon. And that makes sense, because he was writing to seven actual congregations. And he said, these are the things you're doing right. These are the things you're doing wrong. And if you don't straighten out, you're going to get judged. So that was their immediate future. That was future number one. Started right away, I think. It makes sense that way. John Gill's commentary says this. The sense is that these things should very quickly begin to be fulfilled. And from thenceforward, go on fulfilling till all were accomplished. So it's very similar. It's not that it's going to finish right away, but it's going to at least start right away. Lange's commentary, he just says, in swift succession. He's just talking about how it's going to click off when it happens. Not that it's necessarily going to be finished right away. But the clincher for me was twofold. The first was that millennial kingdom thing. I knew right away then he couldn't mean it's going to be done soon. And the second thing was how the same Greek phrase is used elsewhere in the New Testament. Let me read to you another future passage that uses the same Greek that helps me understand it doesn't mean right away. This is from Luke chapter 18, verses 7 through 8, and this is what it says. Jesus is speaking about the future coming judgment. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That word quickly is the same Greek phrase about him coming, uh, this all being finished soon in Revelation. It's exactly the same. But you notice in this passage where Jesus is talking, he admits that God is putting it off. He says God is putting off the judgment. He won't continually put it off, but he, he's putting it off for now, and then they'll be judged quickly. So the quickly doesn't mean the judgment's going to start right away. It seems to mean that when it happens, it's going to be right away. So it's not going to drag out for a thousand years. It's going to be swift. 
whenever it starts. So maybe that's what we have with the book of Revelation. Not that the whole thing's going to be fulfilled right away, but then when that time clock goes and the stopwatch button is pressed, it's just going to be, you know, one thing right after another. Hail, blood in this, you know, fire, brimstone, smoke, demons, earthquake, you know, antichrist, false prophet, kingdoms rising, kingdoms falling, all in a seven-year time period. And much of it in three-and-a-half-year time period. The whole time of humanity will be consummated in one week. That is a seven-year week. Done. That's pretty swift if you think of it that way. I can't help but think this. You know, we're all trying to figure out when's the end times going to start? When's it going to stop? What is the sign? How do we know when it's going to start? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But what I think is we're all going to be taken by surprise when it happens. If the rapture happens right now and we go up to heaven, we're going to be pleasantly surprised because we've been waiting so long. It hasn't happened yet. And then when the end of days start in with the whole tribulation, it's going to be like, where did that come from? Greatest nation and the planet Earth, wealthiest, most forward, we got it so good. We could fall apart in one day. Maybe that'll launch the tribulation. I mean, we're holding this world together, toilet paper, spit, and glue. We're the ones that go in. If it wasn't for us, you know, people like ISIS would have taken over the planet by now. We're the ones that stopped the Hitlers. We're the ones that stop all these crazy bad guys. And then these countries fall apart and we send them all our money. It could be that simple. You know, we, we're going to hit a bad stretch and then the whole world is just going <laughs> to... Don't know. I don't know. But about this soon take place, I wrote up a paragraph. Let me just read it to you, my thoughts on what it means. The events John wrote about started immediately with the seven churches in chapters 2 through 3, I think. However, the complete fulfillment was years distant, even our future, future number three. However, when they do start, they will come about very quickly. That's my understanding of it. And that understanding lines up very well with another book in the Bible that talks about the future. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 and 3 says this, You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. Just like that. It says the end times are going to be like, everything's fine, everything's wonderful, and like a thief in the night, everything's just instantly going to fall apart. Sudden destruction comes upon them. It'll be soon. That's what I think this is talking about. Am I certain? No. But it's the best I have found thus far. This book the book of Revelation, it is filled with mysteries. I mean, two Greek words, one English word. It's taken me some 20 minutes to explain to you. We haven't even gotten out of the first verse yet. And we're already almost out of time. I can't give this amount of detail to every verse. I guess the one good thing would come from that, Jesus would probably be back before I finished. <laughs> I do want to get through the book. But hey, I couldn't just leave that unattended. That was significant, at least it was to me. So I want you to understand that the Word of God is trustworthy. Sometimes it says something that doesn't seem right because we don't understand what it's trying to say, not because it isn't right. 
And the book of Revelation started out that way. It said these things were going to soon take place, and yet it was 2,000 years ago, and that seemed like it was wrong. It wasn't wrong. We just had a bad translation from the Greek into the English using prophetic hermeneutics. Now we understand. I didn't give you much to take to heart today. It was more academic, though hopefully helpful. But I want to give you a little something before I send you home. Even though it's been a long time since Jesus was here and since he promised to return, he wants us to know he has not forgotten us. He's going to wrap up things in due time, quickly. Listen to what he said to the Apostle Peter. Or actually he had Peter write this in an epistle for us. In the last days, some people won't think about anything except their own selfish desires. They'll make fun of you. And they'll say, didn't your Lord promise to come back? Yet the first leaders have already died. The world hasn't changed a bit. They'll say this because they want to forget that long ago the heavens and the earth were made at God's command. And the earth came out of water and was made from water. Later it was destroyed by the waters of a mighty flood. But God has commanded the present heavens and earth to remain until the day of judgment. They will be set on fire and ungodly people will be destroyed. My dear friends, don't forget that for the Lord, one day is the same as a thousand years and a thousand years is the same as one day. The Lord is not slow about keeping his promises as some people think. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from their sin and no one to be lost. The day of the Lord's return will surprise us. So I guess what I want to send you home with is don't lose heart. Jesus is coming. And there's only one reason he's put it off. Because he's not anxious to judge anybody. Now that's the loving God I know about. He keeps putting it off, putting it off, because when it happens, it's going to be severe. Worst trauma the world and its people have ever seen. And the end of all hope. And he's just not in any rush to make that happen. So as anxious as I am to see him, I guess I'm not anxious for him to do that either. Because I know a lot of people who don't believe in him. And I don't want to see them hardened and judged. So we'll just keep waiting. Let Jesus put it off as long as he wants. Because I'm going to die sooner or later, and then I'll see him anyway. So it's all good. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you for explaining to us through your word your future plans. And giving us something to look forward to. And as we study through the book of Revelation, I pray you would open our minds and our hearts to understand as much of it as we are allowed to, stand, uh, to understand in this day and age. And that it will affect a change in us. It will renew our hope, excite us about your future and how you are going to again reveal yourself to this planet and not let anybody say, what God? I don't believe in God. There's no God. While we wait for that day, Lord, please help us to bear much fruit, to be a light in dark places, to feed homeless and hungry teenagers, 
Help us to do that, Lord God. We're going to go see this movie. Help us to bring our friends to testify about the love of God and the love of Jesus. For those who serve here in the church, Lord, bless them and keep them. And for those who don't, bless them that they might want to. Help us to be effective and fruitful. And above all things, Lord, help us to pledge our allegiance to Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.